0: Hi, folks. Welcome back to another episode on the podcast. This week, we were lucky enough to be able to interview a couple of faculty at a school of podiatry. So for those students that are thinking, you know, I know I going to go into medicine, but I'm not sure that medical school is the right path. This is a wonderful option. So buckle up, get ready. It's a pretty exciting episode this week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast, the show to help all pre-health students on their journeys to acceptance. My name is John Moses Bronson. I am not this week's host. We did a wonderful interview with the a school of podiatry in Pomona, California. Uh, as you might expect, we did not do this interview in person, and we used a software uh, that allows us to record from long distances. No, it was not Zoom. But unfortunately, uh, we did not realize that the length of our video of our audio was too long. And because of that, I'm not able to clean up the audio in the ways in which I would traditionally do so in other episodes. So you may experience some parts of this week's episode. Uh, have a lot of background noise. I do want to apologize for that. I tried to control it as much as I possibly could. But you will notice some some challenging pieces of audio in this episode. We do apologize for that. And we have a plan on how to avoid this in the future. I think you're still going to enjoy this week's episode, especially if you're looking for one of those non traditional ways of being in medicine. So let me turn things over to my colleague, Kimberly
1: Johnson. This is Kimberly Johnson. Uh, nice to have you all back here today. I am actually joined by a special guest. Uh, I'm here with Dr. Kazuto Augustus, and he is from the Western University um, Health of Health Sciences College of Podiatric Medicine. Now, I went through all this time to get clarification on the proper name of everything at the beginning, and here I butchered it all right. Why? Dr. Augustus, we <laughs> to have you we are really excited just to learn more about podiatric medicine, about what it is that you um, value in your students and that you're looking for in your future applicants, and maybe just a little bit of insight on where um, podiatric medicine is headed in the future. No, um, yeah. do you want to just start us off with sure. what is podiatric medicine? What is podiatry?
2: You know, that, that that's a great question because it's a um, it's a it's a surgical specialty that focuses on the lower extremity. And so we treat uh, the foot and ankle uh, surgically and non-surgically, and um, it's it's kind of a unique profession because you go to a medical school. So there's MD, which is allopathic medical school. There's the DOs, which is the doctor of osteopathic medical schools, and then there's the DPM, which is a doctor of podiatric medicine, and that's what I am. And so there's, there's 11 colleges nationwide that specialize in podiatric medicine, and, and the training is, is very similar to regular medical schools in that um, we take all the same classes except, and, and at Western, we literally take, our students take the exact same classes, so the osteopaths and our students are in classes the entire time. Um, with the exception of osteopathic manipulation, we don't do that. And we don't take um, child psych. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have to deal a lot with that. But everything else we take. And while the while the osteopaths are focusing on that aspect of their training, we're focusing on low-extremity anatomy, low-extremity biomechanics, and surgical skills. And the, the one of the neat things about I3 is and that's what that brought me through. Brought me to it was, I knew that I wanted to be a surgeon. And initially, uh, my mentor was an orthopedic surgeon, and I was following him. And um, right at the end of the process, I had applied to medical schools. Um, been accepted to a couple of allopathic schools, and he had a little heart to heart with me. He said, "Hey, my orthopedic is great. I have a hey, Dr. Chandler." <laughs> Um, I have I have a great life as an um, orthopod, but I'm on call a lot, and I don't really see my children that much, and he knew that I wanted to have kids, so at that point, I didn't have any kids, but I now have four children, all raised, and so he said, you should visit my buddy, the podiatrist, and I went and visited uh, four podiatrists in my neighborhood in Reno, where I grew up, and um, three of them loved their job. One of them didn't like his job, and I don't think he would have liked any job he did, so I didn't really listen to that guy. And I I switched my apps from allopathic school to podiatry school and uh, haven't looked back. It's been great. So when you go to podiatry school, you are being trained as a surgeon from day one. Not that you actually have to end up doing surgery. There's a whole depth and breadth of podiatry that is non-surgical. And as as I've matured in my career, I actually... Really enjoyed that part of my my practice as much or more than I enjoyed the surgical part of my practice. Now, but I knew going in that I wanted to do surgery. I didn't want to run the risk of getting through four years of education and then not matching uh, surgery. And I didn't want to have to be on call all the time. And as a podiatrist, we have that choice. We can take call. We don't have to take call. And I, you know, early on in my career, most podiatrists take call because it's exciting and. It's a way to, to make sure you get your surgical numbers. But after about five years, I stopped taking calls and decreased my call schedule significantly. So, um, again, we, we treat the, the foot and ankle, everything below on the lower extremity. We, we treat non surgically the entire body, but we're trained as physicians first, and then we specialize in the lower extremity. That's the way we like to think about
1: it. <laughs> on um, this um because you know it's to try something and sort of go wholeheartedly after these big goals that we have um a lot about what makes our careers whatever they are sustainable is under understanding what our own personal needs are and what lifestyle is is going to make us happy long term and um i love that within medicine there are Multiple ways to go about pursuing sort of a more friendly family-friendly lifestyle, which mm-hmm. I hear over and over again from our students is important to them, and they're trying to sort of at this early point in their life reconcile how they're going to make all that work.
2: Um, so I'll, I'll give you a little, a little bit more than Dr. Chandler can jump in whenever she's ready. There. Um, so one of the things that, that other other thing is unique about podiatry is, you know, when you are a, su- a surgical specialty, typically, you're going to see your patient volume for a, a, a short period of time. You'll see a patient who have a problem, you're going to fix that problem, with the surgery, and then you'll see them two or three visits, maybe four visits afterwards, and then you'll never see that patient again. And some people love that, pra- that, that part of medicine. You see them, you fix them, and then you don't see them again. Other people... Like you really get to know their patient. Most, most people usually gravitate towards internal medicine, right? have a set group of patients, 500, 500, whatever that volume is, that you see for the rest of your life. You're going to really get to know them. They're going to get to know you. You're, you're, you're seeing them over and over. In psychiatry, we get, we get both. So I've been in practice about 20 years, and I've got patients that I've seen for literally 20 years. Uh, because they have diabetes or they have uh, neuropathy, they've got rheumatoid arthritis, they've got other um, ailments that require uh, lower cognitive care. And so I see them every three months, four months, six months, once a year, whatever it happens to be. And so they get to know me, I get to know their families. So I have that aspect of my practice where I'm seeing them on a regular basis. I get to build that that connection with them. but I've got a whole separate part of my practice where I just do surgery, where I, I have a problem, I fix it, and then <laughs> they're, I'm gone. And they're gone, and so you, you get a little bit of both. And so, if you're if you're really not sure, but you're, you're a hands-on kind of person, you should really visit a podiatrist and, and see what they do. I think I think most people will be surprised at how much we actually do on a daily basis and you know, the variety of patients that we see on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, I, I think
0: one of the things that surprised me about something that you said was, I think a lot of people are like, well, if you don't like feet, you're not going to like being a podiatrist, which like, maybe, but you talked about like, non surgically, you can treat a lot more than just the feet. And I don't think that students certainly don't know that. Can you talk a little bit about what that aspect of your practice looks like? Because I think most of our Students and our listeners are going to be really surprised that that's part of your role.
2: Yeah, so so in my, my practice, I'm in. I, I, I teach part time at West University, and then I also I, I teach at a couple residency programs locally in the area. I teach at a family cool. residency and a, and a couple pediatric residencies. Um, but my practice in Huntington Beach and Long Beach are adjacent to uh, Cal State Long Beach and to uh, m- multiple high schools in the area a lot of gymnastics that happens in Southern California, a lot of surfing that happens in Southern California, and all of those sports require your feet, right? You're running, you're jumping. So I have a large population of, of kids from eight years old all the way up to old adults that want to do triathlons or start running marathons that we help them um, achieve their goals. The biomechanics of the lower extremity starts at the foot, so if you're you know if you're building a house and the foundation's crooked, it's not gonna stay up. And so if you think about that is it you know, if we build a proper foundation at the foot and the ankle, it aligns the knee correctly, it aligns the hip correctly, and it allows them to function more efficiently and pain-free. And that and that can be done through various things. Simple things. Sometimes it's just changing shoes. They come in, they bring their shoes in, I'm like, well, these shoes don't don't work for you. They may work for somebody else, but they're not gonna work for you, and you give them a shoe recommendation. Sometimes it's a shoe recommendation with an over-the-counter insert or a brace. Sometimes it's a custom insert, a custom brace that needs to be made. But you, we, you can get these patients back on their feet, enjoying their activities and their sport, without having to do surgery on them. And it's you know significantly rewarding to do that. Um, so that's a huge part of it. There's and there's some podiatrists that do nothing but that. They don't they don't do any surgery. Um, they, they strictly just treat athletes you know, non-surgically.
1: Actually, as a former ballet dancer, my um, friend and I used to have a practice. We used to like to sit and people watch, but we weren't just people watching for fashion or something like that. We like to watch people's gates and then try to understand what it was that made their gait look the way that it did um, based off of how they're walking. Just because, you know, when you spend so much time in your own body and dancing, you get a really interesting understanding of how, you know, each part of the body is intri- intricately connected to the next part.
2: Definitely. Yeah, okay. definitely.
1: So, um, Dr. Chandler, or Dr. Hubbard, we should have a chance here to bring you into the conversation. because, um, So, everyone, we were joined just after we began um, by Dr. Chandler Hubbard, um, who was also going to participate in our conversation today. Um, we just had, uh, we we're just a little all over the place, all of us here on time today. So do you want to just take a second to introduce yourself so we can bring you into this conversation? You can hear me, right? Okay, perfect. Yes. Um, so yeah, my name is Dr. Chandler Hubbard. Um, I grew up in Southern Orange County. And my dad was a neurologist and psychiatrist. So growing up, I had a medicine background. I saw my dad um, not as much as I wanted to because he was always working. He was always on call. And I knew I wanted to go into medicine, but I knew I did not want to deal with the crazy that my dad dealt with as a psychiatrist. I can remember a time when I was sitting in the car at five years old and my dad gets a call and it's on speakerphone and it's somebody that's having a manic episode. And he's like, oh, just sedate them. I'll be there in the morning. And I thought, oh, I, I do not want to deal with that. Um, so I went the exact opposite end of the body and did foot and ankle, but I still deal with a lot of crazy. We still deal with, you know, the whole thing. So that's something to keep in mind, whatever field of medicine or whatever branch of medicine you decide you to go into. Um I went through undergrad at Chapman University, and I got my uh, my degree in health sciences with an emphasis in pediatric medicine because I knew I wanted to be a podiatrist very early on. Because I saw podiatrists all growing up, I played soccer, I had ingrown toenails and broken toes and a broken foot, and so I, I loved my podiatrist. He was he had such a good work life balance. He had kids, and he always let me come in and shadow, and he was good. And so that, from from an early age, I said that's that's what I want to do. I want to be more hands on. I want to just I want to get in there and do that. Um, I graduated and I immediately started medical school, which I don't necessarily recommend to everybody. I think it's important to take time off and um, enjoy life a little bit, get some life experience. But if you're really really ready to go and just feel like you want to go for it, go straight from college to medical school. Um, I went to Western. And I graduated in 2018, and then I did my residency at Chino Valley Medical Center, which is affiliated with Western. Um, and then I came back as an assistant professor as soon as I graduated. So I, I, I've kind of been with Western the entire time, and I love it. And I also work with uh, a couple of the residents. Right now. Um, I work with Chino Valley Medical Center, so the same residents that I graduated with. And then um, I work with the university, so I help train students in the clinic, uh, starting in their first year for volunteer events, and then um, when they get out into rotations for third and fourth. That's a little bit about me.
0: Wow. So you would like drank the Western Kool Aid pretty thousand early. Thousand
1: percent, I love it.
0: <laughs> so it sounds like the environments there really great, and you really have a, a student perspective. Can you talk a little bit about what the environment is like specifically at? Western, how, you know, what do they do to help with, like, cohorting, relationship building? What's mentoring or involvement look
1: like there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, from the very beginning, the moment that you get accepted, you get assigned a um, an upperclassman mentor and a faculty mentor. So it could be me if you, you know, you go to Western, I could be your faculty mentor. Um, And essentially we're there for you if you ever need help with tutoring or life events or you just want to talk or you need advice on what rotations to go on in third and fourth year. the, from the very beginning, we're very integrated with the DO program, the Osteopathic, or the College of Osteopathic Medicine of the Pacific, which is comp at Western. Um, we take all of the same classes that they do, so we're very integrated from the beginning. A lot of times, the DO students have no idea that the person they're sitting next to is a podiatry student. Um, so we take the same courses, we take the same tests, we're held to the same standards, and Western is very much about making a physician first and then a podiatrist second. Um, so that's that's the motto that, that we really follow. And when we go out onto rotations, a lot of times the doctors that we work with, whether it's a vascular surgeon or a general surgeon, they say, oh, you know, we, we couldn't tell that you were a podiatry student because you know just as much as the UCLA counterparts or whoever else they're rotating with. Um, there's lots of opportunities for mentoring from your upperclassmen or if you need tutoring help from our LEAD program, um, as well as for, for from people that are alumni that, you know, you're thinking about a residency and someone that went to Western went there. You can contact them and it's very much a family. Podiatry is very small and it's very, very much a family. Everybody hears everything. Good and bad. <laughs>
0: Wow. So like, I I mean, I sort of assume the podiatry would be small. I mean, there's only 11 schools. But you know, a lot of like, medical schools or dental schools, they talk about that family environment. But you don't really hear much about like the alumni sort of like reaching back. It's sort of like once they hit residence, like... (laughs) they're out, you know, it doesn't seem like that's really the case in in your field. Is that like pervasive at all schools? Or do you think that's sort of like a unique aspect of like the Western University Kool-Aid?
1: I would say that to some degree, because the other schools have been around longer, there's a larger alumni population. So there may be more people that have been to different places or in practice in other locations. Um, But I would say with Western, there is very much a like a family like a connection that we all went through the same thing we all kind of understand the struggle um, we're a newer school we're not the newest but we're a newer school so our alumni population that is out is small but we're very strong so i would say specifically for western it's that's the case
2: yeah, and the other thing is a little a little unique because we are so integrated with the osteopaths. You'll see them out on rotations, right? I mean, you'll you'll and and then you'll see them in residency because you may be doing a a pediatric residency where they're doing a family practice residency or internal medicine or general surgery residency, and so it's not just the the school that's that's podiatry. It's the osteopathic cohorts that are they're they're your friends. They're your cohorts.
1: Absolutely, it's funny funny story. I. Uh... I was taking call at one of the local hospitals and a hospitalist messaged me and he was like, hey, does your, was your last name Schirmerhorn before? And I was thinking like, wow, how does anybody know that? Like, I haven't used that name since I was in medical school. Well, it turns out he is an attending of um, internal medicine and he was my lab partner my first year of medical school. So it's a really, really tiny, tiny world. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. Go ahead, Kimberly.
1: Really. I just love that medial element. I mm-hmm. driving that can make such a difference in your experience.
0: Yeah, a lot of, you know, we're at Penn State. And so our students are part of like a cohort of like 10,000 students as a first year cohort. It's a really different experience, right? And so like the experience of community building, meaning making looks really different. What are, you know, besides like the mentoring, is there any other sort of like things that you know, Western does to help sort of like create that community within their, their first year cohort? Um, the,
1: the, the welcome week is one big thing. The first week of medical school, everybody okay. um, in the podiatry class meets and we, we mingle. They, they have lunches, they have activities. We have bonding experiences where you learn about your classmates. Um, I went through it myself. There were 50 people in my class and I knew every single one of them. We all studied together together. Um, And the same thing goes for the DOs. A lot of times we have um, interprofessional education. That's something that's part of our curriculum. So you actually sit in a a classroom, They're, they give you a case, and you sit with dental students, vets, um, nursing, optometry, and they'll say, "Hey, here's a case, and maybe it's somebody with diabetes, and they, they have a dog that has diabetes, so the vet student's there to kind of walk everything, uh, walk you through everything. Um, so you get to see not only the people in, in your class in podiatry, but in the other colleges that we have, um, and you gain that experience of what are they learning, and what are you learning, and you get to learn about each other's specialty or branches of medicine
0: dang i did like so like
1: i've heard of that with like
0: pa schools and medical schools and dental schools i haven't heard it on the scale that you're talking about that's pretty
1: very much so it's a fun class because you you uh you get to see other people's perspectives and it really changes how you approach a case a lot of times
2: and something else that that's unique about Western Dr. Hubbard's touching on is you know we're we're a graduate university only we don't have an undergraduate class it's only a graduate school but it's a graduate school that's unique in the world because we have osteo we have doctor of osteopathic medicine doctor of podiatric medicine Physical therapy veterinary dental optometry <laughs> um Am I missing something else? I mean, it's it's literally a, a nursing. I think there's nursing also in biomedical science, I believe, but it's it's a university where it's only grad students, and you're not siloed into just your college. The the university really does inter once um, interprofessional uh, interaction. So they, they take time out to make these scenarios where every specialty, every college has an opportunity to contribute something um, to that case, and it's it's kind of neat because you go out. You know, you're really a family. You're not just a college of medical medicine. You graduated from the Western University College of Health Sciences. It's all the sciences.
1: I I feel like we're getting the true, true meaning of what it is to be a University of Health Sciences, <laughs> that it's, it, it's um, one, all-encompassing, but also very integrated and, and, like you said, not quite so siloed as you might see at some other institutions. Okay. Um, which, you know, is I think part of the, the one of the best parts of medicine when it's really functioning at its best is everyone across the board in all the different realms and specialties and roles being able to work together and communicate clearly and understand, you know, what value each brings to the table so that the patient um, is always get, getting the best possible treatment. I think there's a lot of
0: competition sometimes of like I'm the most important part of this like little journey that you're on. Ignore all of those other people, what I'm telling you is best. This I think really teaches and reinforces the idea that like we're a community of practitioners and providers and that we rely on everyone to be exceptional to provide the best care.
2: Just
1: magic. That's a great message. Um, I am being mindful of the fact that what John and I do every day is talk to undergraduate students. So I would love to gain a little bit of insight into what it is that you're looking for from an exceptional applicant or future Professional in your line of work. What do you think that they should be working on now, or what do you hope that they would bring to the table
2: in the future? Oh, so, Dr. Hubbard is, uh, I think, a co-chair of our admissions committee. I sit on the committee as a helper, but she's the co-chair. So, how about you take that one, Dr. Hubbard, and then I'll fill in any gaps. you go from there. Sure,
1: of course. Um, so I, yeah, I, I'm one of the chairs for co-chairs of admissions. So I look at a lot of applications. And I think the common misconception is that people think all I look at is your GPA and your M. I I do look at that. I'm not going to tell you I don't, but it's not the most important thing necessarily. I want to see that you have a good base in these prerequisite courses. So I want to see that you performed well. You didn't get a D or an F necessarily in o- gen chem physics biology i want to see that you did it you know you put the work in i'm not saying that those are easy courses by no means are they Um, but i want to see that you tried um i want to look at you as like a whole person more holistically what extracurriculars did you do were you a volunteer for community service did you um do you have life experience were you a medical assistant or were you a phlebotomist? Did you shadow and do you understand podiatry to the fullest extent that you possibly can as an undergrad or um, even a graduate student? Did you go do a master's program and, you know, you wanted to learn more about what options you had in medicine? So I look at the, the whole thing. Also, I really like personal statements. I read the personal statements because I get a sense of who you are. And so often people write, oh, you know, the reason I want to be a doctor is because my grandma had... A problem and I understand that that that's a lot of reasons because it's people's reason for wanting to help is they had a personal experience but what I want to hear is who are you and why was you doctor? so our personal statements if they're, if they're you it really and then I get to know you a little bit better. I can ask you and say hey I feel like I know you from your personal statement tell me more about that <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think there's there's a huge emphasis from students of like standing out, and what I hear so often from admissions officers, I feel like you just reiterated, is that like if you are just yourself and are able to tell your story, that is what makes you stand out. So it's not about trying to pull a rabbit out of your hat. It's just sh- just show us the rabbit that was always there. It
1: doesn't need to come That's out. That's a of great that. way to put it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
2: As you know, if you think about the, the funneling effect that happens in medicine, right? You, you start out as a freshman, and you, and, and there's let's say there's 10,000 people nationwide that are pre-med of some kind, biology or whatever. And by the end of the first year, now there's 8,000 people, right? And by the end of the second year, the second year there's now 6,000 people, and by the end of the third and fourth year, by the time you graduate, maybe there's there's 4,000 people left, right? That have actually made it that far. Well, of those four thousand people, maybe there's only fifteen hundred spots, right, in traditional medical schools. So there's a huge section of people that have that have struggled and made it through. They've taken the MCAT, they've done everything that they needed to do, and they didn't get in. And they're super qualified people. These are all super qualified people. They just don't know about what other what other specialties there are. And those are the people that were like, "Look at pietry Take a look at us. I think you'll be surprised at how much we have to offer and what a great lifestyle you can have. You know, it's 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 personally rewarding. It's spiritually rewarding, and financially, it's very rewarding. You, you get paid well to do what we do. Um, but it's um, yeah. I mean, what Dr. Thomas said. We we really look at the whole person. You know, if you if we have somebody who that got you know a three point nine cumulative GPA through their entire career, but they never tutored and they and they never they never had a job. And we have somebody who has a three five, and they work forty hours a week, supported their you know their family or whatever just to make ends meet because they didn't have money to go through school. That person that worked three that that worked throughout their entire career, we think may have a better chance of succeeding than a person that actually had a higher GPA. The person that hires your GPA has all the time in the world to study, right? So it's not just your GPA. Tell us why your GPA is like that. You know what's going to happen when you get to when you get to medical school if you don't have to work forty hours a week, right? What's going to happen then? You get I like got better time management or whatever it happens to be.
1: Tell us why,
2: uh, because there's a lot more to it than just grades.
1: I think um, you're speaking our language here. John and I are constantly emphasizing to our students the importance of showing the challenges that you've experienced and giving us some perspective into your maturity level and your ability to make decisions and carry um, a heavy load, you know, possibly Mm -hmm. emotionally and in terms of time management and and all of those different things that are not always apparent right there in at the top of a transcript. Um, yeah. you know, a a GPA is right there, ask score is right there, but how many jobs you are working or who else you are supporting alongside that um, is not always evident. Oh,
0: struggle makes you relatable. Right? Nobody is like so, feels super like connected to somebody's like I never struggled a day in my life everything was easy I have nothing to talk about with you yeah and if you're you have patients coming to you especially in podiatry I have a feeling they're probably struggling with something so if you don't know what it means to struggle you're gonna have a hard time really helping them beyond just like the actual diagnosis and like with something like our ability to walk and to move is so central to so many people's identities, especially athletes, which I assume you work with a ton of them, right? Your ability to move and to manipulate is a huge part of your identity. You can't just do the diagnosis. Unless I'm swinging out of left field, I feel like you're just missing like at least 50% of the
2: role. So you're a person, right? You got to be able to talk to them You got to be able to, to converse, you you've got to mm-hmm. sympathize, empathize, and, and feel um, what, what's going on, and you only get that through experience. You don't get that, you know, set, shut in the cub- cubicle 24/7 to study. You got to get out and have some real world experiences. So we we welcome those. We want we want those. We we like those people that um, had uh, maybe possibly even a, a, a primary career, and they figured out you know. I, I, I thought I liked finance, I thought I liked engineering, but really, I, I don't like that, you know? I wanna do something else with my life. Great, medicine's awesome. You know, it's, it's a great field to go into. It's you're, you're never gonna be downsized. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're always gonna have a job. You're always gonna get compensated well for that job. Um, but yeah, for our, our applicants, we're looking for, like Dr. Hubbard said, paint us a picture, give us a story. You know, why, why you and not the thousand other people that are applying for that seems fine.
0: So I think we have a good sense of like, perhaps where we'd like to see students get to, right? We want to make sure that you have a nice diversity of experiences, that you've worked with people, you understand what it means to be a patient, what it means to be a vulnerable person, you're good in the academics. Let's say I'm a student who's just starting out. I'm not sure if podiatry might be for me. What might you encourage someone who wants to explore this field to do? Where's a good starting point for
1: them? Find a local podiatrist and and call them up or or email them. Reach out and and ask, "Can I shadow? Can I can I come spend a day with you? Um, it may be half a day depending on their schedule or or yours, but go and see what we do every day in clinic and and see if you like it see if you know you have i guarantee you anybody that goes and shadows a podiatrist you will have questions of why do you do that or that's really strange even comments just that's really strange that you see that every day i never thought people had this um we don't see the same thing every single day yes we see diabetics yes we see athletes but there are so many pathologies and we're constantly learning as well so go see what we know yeah i i
2: I echo that. You know, go go see go see at least one, if not two, because podiatrists sometimes specialize. There's, there's general podiatrists, which I consider myself a general podiatrist, they do a little bit of everything. Um, and there's some that specialize in nothing but surgery, some that specialize in completely non-surgical, some that want to just do dermatology kind of thing. So it's good to get out there and see a couple different podiatrists and see exactly how, how you know, deep and wide um, the the elements that we see that we take care of.
0: One of my favorite things that my good friend Kimberly has ever said, and I bring it up all the time now because it's just like it's a good encapsulation of something that's so important. A breadth of experiences creates a depth of understanding. It's exactly what we're talking about here. And it doesn't matter which discipline, this is such an important concept that having this diversity of experience Helps you understand something to such a deeper level, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you also place value around that. And we're not just like being mean over here, making our students do all these different types of experiences.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: It, it it does make such a difference. I think, particularly when you're young and you're exploring and you don't know what all your options are, to actually go see what a real day is like is like. It's, um, you know, and on your end too, you don't want anybody to be surprised by what they've gotten themselves into. And the best way to understand is probably not by reading up on all these things on the internet, but just to go out and make some folks introduce yourself and spend some time there.
2: I'd echo that. Yeah, <laughs> you do not want to go. Internet's full of good and bad, right? And the people that are usually upset are the ones that are writing most. You know, you don't really write great experiences out there. So you're going to find negatives about probably every specialty that ever, every medicine in general. You're going to find negative things out there. Um, go talk to somebody who's actually doing it, right? That's actually it's actually practicing medicine. And of course, there's negatives. Healthcare is just not it's it's not all wonderful, it's, but uh, on par. It's a great. I mean, really, it depends on on what you're looking for. Um, I've got uh, one of our old, old students and uh, now uh, finished his his residency last year. He's probably working 80 hours a week because he's on call to three hospitals, taking trauma call. He loves his life. He's, he's like, man, this is exactly what I, this is what I envision. This is perfect. He gets to do all kinds of crazy surgeries that I don't even want to attempt at this stage. <laughs> um, me, on the other hand, I work three and a half days a week. I love it. <laughs> that's what I want to do at this stage of my game. Dr. Chandler is probably working more than I am and, and loving what she does. So um, it's, it's just different, you know, it's, it's a little bit different at each point, but you get to make that choice.
1: I So we're obviously op, uh, located on opposite sides of the country. So for our Penn State students who might be interested in learning more about your institution and um, what you have to offer and whether they'd be a good fit what is the best way for them to go about doing that
2: I wish I had that little QR code
1: <laughs> uh, how are QR codes these days we can put them on our show notes I think
0: uh, what I could actually do is I can create an episode image so I can put the QR code as the episode image so if you send it to me
2: happy to do that Perfect. I, I I think I've got a copy. If you don't have a copy up your hand, Chandler, we can uh, we'll get a QR code to you. That that would be the best. So uh, if they have more if they have an interest, yeah, uh, put the information in the QR code and we'll reach out to them uh, we can schedule um, conversations over the phone, we can schedule like a zoom type mm-hmm. thing like this, you can you can do on campus visits. We encourage you to come to Western and, and see what we have to offer. I think students uh, students be pretty surprised at uh, how cool it is over there in tomorrow.
0: Well, cool. I just have one last question, and it was something that Kimberly sort of mentioned at the beginning. I have a feeling that a lot of our students might feel like there's not going to be anything like new or exciting about podiatry. What do you see as sort of like the future? What are sort of some new emerging technologies or therapies that make you personally really excited about the future of podiatry? What's, what's sort of like getting your fire burning these days?
1: I can tell you personally for, for Western U, I'm a part of a, a research project and development for virtual reality operating room that I'm helping to design. Wow. So overall in medicine, but specifically for podiatric surgery, we're designing a, an Oculus um, with like handsets and everything mm-hmm. to actually teach our students before they go out and, and operate on human beings, live human beings, how to operate safely so I think that that's something that's going to change the way that podiatric medicine and medicine in general is taught so that it's safer for wow. everybody involved. And I'm super excited to be part of it because it's super cool to actually play around with it and do it because I wish I had had that when I was going through school and residency. That's
2: so cool. Pretty cool, huh? And, it, you know, there's there's stuff just like we have um, in, in all aspects of life, but, you know, uh, printers, right? We have couple, we have those printers that can print parts um, that you can test. There's actually medical printers now that that print body parts for like fusions. Because when you, uh, one of the things that happens when you have a it's called a pilon fracture. It's a, it's a damaged joint where the the ankle joint just gets completely destroyed, and sometimes there's a significant amount of shortening, and you need to put that foot. Back together with the ankle, but because of the so much shortening or the bone loss, you don't really, you you can't do it efficiently without causing a significant limb length discrepancy where that person's going to have a limp for the rest of their life. Well, now we have technologies where we can actually create bone, a scaffold of a bone, and that scaffold actually have pilot holes that are pre drilled at angles that when you put that inside the ankle where the joint used to be, the, the screw holes are lined up perfectly. So you put that in, it matches. It's, it's a one-to-one. It's, it's, it's specifically printed for that patient only. And as we get into emerging technologies, I think that may be more and more of what happens, uh, at least in yeah. our realm of orthopedics, that there's it's a lot. It's a pretty exciting things.
0: Science is really
2: cool, huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Science is cool,
2: guys. <laughs> <Science> <laughs> I don't know cool. what to say. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty cool. And that that's, that's, that's just the bone stuff, right? And then you talk about mm-hmm. amniotic membrane and injections. Because we do a high – some psychiatrists do a lot of wound care. There's lots and lots mm-hmm. of wounds. Unfortunately, with, with diabetes on the rise and patient get, patients getting older, lasting longer, we're outliving our bodies and our skin's falling mm-hmm. apart for various reasons. And there's, there's regenerative things that we can do to skin to make it grow quicker or put fake skin on. And that's a whole emerging market. That's um, happening. And there's, and some people get PhDs after they go to podiatry school, and they specialize in nothing but research, which is awesome. Just like every other specialty, right? There's, there's, you can always advance and do other things if you like to do that.
1: This is great. It's, yeah, I'm very happy that you took the time to share some of these very sort of niche areas of how one could spend their future in working within the realm of podiatry. Because these are just the things that, when you're starting to explore, you just don't know. So this is a, this is the sort of thing that I think is just so helpful for our younger students to hear, so that they can like, get excited about all the possibilities out there.
0: I have so many students that are interested in so many like specialty areas, and I'm like, I think that like you could be happy in podiatry. I just need you to get over the fact that it's a foot or an ankle. <laughs> And just look at like the service and care and quality of life improvements that you're providing to a patient, because all the reasons you're saying you want to go into this really align and you can do it longitudinally and build relationships. Okay. So it's about I think it's changing the narrative around podiatry, because I think it does get very stereotyped, especially by undergrads that see it as a less than science. And I'm just like, no, stop.
2: <laughs> okay. and i think a lot of the people think well, it's stinky feet right that you're dealing with mm-hmm. stinky feet right there's a whole lot of feet that we see that aren't stinky <laughs> but they got ankle fractures or they got a bone that's yeah. broken that needs to be fixed but they, mm-hmm. I this is half-heartedly right but I, they, they say well the feet stink i'm like there are smellier parts of the body than your feet <laughs> And you could specialize in those.
0: <laughs> Sometimes I feel like this, the foot is only as smelly as the person who owns it's, it's attached to. Right. <laughs> if you're clean, your feet are probably going to be clean too. Right. Right. So, and like I have so many students that want to do sports medicine. I'm like, do you understand how competitive that is? And how like what is the most common injury in sports? Ankle, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's
2: right. ankle sprain,
0: number one. You want to work with a lot of athletes? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ankle sprains number one, and there, mm-hmm. there's there's a, a, a doctor up in Palo Alto, and that's all he does. He takes care of. Um, NCAA Division I athletes and Olympians. That's his entire so practice. Great. Is He's just taking so care of athletes. He's a he's a high-level athlete himself, and that's what he mm-hmm. did. That. He wanted to do that as, as a career, and that's exactly what he does. You know, Every professional basketball, football, uh, hockey team, they're going to have a podiatrist on that so They're there to take care of their foot and ankle problems, whether it's an ingrown toenail, or whether it's a broken foot, whether they need orthotics. They all have podiatrists on staff. So we have a heavy vested interest in podiatry. The the whole boom of of running was um, the the grandfather of biomechanics when it happened, a lot of the running that running that took place happened on the backs of the in event, the inventions of biomechanics from podiatry. The changes in shoes here and the changes in, in um, inserts and things like that happened because of the the knowledge from um, biomechanics or from podiatrists.
0: I I love the fact that podiatrists study with osteopaths because I feel like that particular branch of medicine as opposed to allopathic is so much more focused on, there's just so much more synergy. So like when you said that you're taking a lot of classes with osteopaths, I was like, that's really tracking in my brain of like, there's just so much synergy in, in the approach and the philosophy behind what you're doing.
1: Absolutely. And and that's that,
0: not... that's less of a question, yeah. more of a comment. But,
1: no, that's a good point. I will say not all of the medical, not all of the podiatric medical schools are with osteopathic schools, but a handful of them are. Um, Western specifically, having gone there, I did learn some some OMT um, techniques, osteopathic manipulation therapy, um, and treatments for foot and ankle. You know, I went in and said, "Hey, how can I how can I use what you guys do to treat my patients?" And there are myofascial releases. There's different trigger points, pressure points. Um, and at one of the clinics that I work at at Western U, we have an osteopath that does manipulation, and so we send back and forth very regularly.
2: Yes.
0: Integrated yes. care. Love it. So I, I, I sort of want to get us to a point where we can wrap up because uh, I, I know that we're all very busy. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, we were very blessed to have Dr. Hubbard take a break from some clinic stuff. What is like, you know, we, we've covered a lot of ground and I think we've got a lot of really important topics that I, I want all of my students who are considering podiatry to know. Is there anything that we haven't covered or like one final piece of advice you'd like to give students who are considering this path?
2: Um, One thing I I would just consider is that, you know, like all of the medical schools, we have a rolling admissions. And so it's the admissions process is open and it's open longer than it is for osteopathic school or, or, or allopathic school. And so, if you are looking at podiatry don't cons- and think that you maybe need to take that gap here because you didn't get your application in. Call us, because <laughs> you may actually be right in the middle of the window and not realize that you don't have to wait another year and you can get your career started. And then that's after you know you've you've done the you've, you've done your due diligence, you've shadowed a podiatrist, you know what you are really getting into. You know that that applicant window it's rolling and it's open. Um, and it's unlike allopathic School where you apply, then you actually you you're applying like a year before you get accepted. You could be mm-hmm. applying now and starting school in September. You're not applying now and getting accepted and starting 2024, you're starting in 2023. That's a great timeline.
0: That is a great timeline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How
2: about you, I'm Dr.
1: Let's say I'm just you? reiterate, go shadow. Go, go spend a day, even if it's one day. Um, I really want you to understand what podiatry is because I haven't had a single person that's come to shadow me that hasn't been like, wow, I didn't realize what you do. Even if they were like, this is not for me, at least they know. So please go shadow, go, go find a podiatrist. Pretty much everybody is willing to have you come at some point. They may not be able to, you know, in your time frame, but but go reach out and, and find somebody and and see what we do firsthand. All right. Thank you both, Dr. Augustus, Dr. Hubbard. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. I think we learned a lot. Um, hopefully, our listeners learned a lot and we'll be able to share some of this information with our advisees. Wonderful. So, um, right. Be sure to include all of the details in the show notes, and then we'll also work on getting that QR code out to folks so that they know how to reach you. Right on. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank thank you. you. Hi, everyone. I really want to thank you again for sticking with us through uh, this week's episode. We know that the audio was very challenging in some spots. I really, I promise I did my absolute best to make it as listenable as possible without degrading the quality of the original audio any further. So, again, I just want to thank you all for for your patience and uh, just a quick promise that this will never happen again. So thank you all again for joining us this week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. The Penn State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office in the Everly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre health students across the university system.